Okay, do you want to grab your Bibles? If you want to grab your Bibles and turn to page 71, it's the book of Leviticus on uh, page 71. Whenever I mention to people that we are looking at Leviticus for the next five weeks, you hear almost audible groans as people sort of say, oh, why Leviticus? Or what can you learn from Leviticus? Uh, people say, isn't it just sort of blood, guts, rituals, irrelevant? I have to say, it's a really obscure book of the Bible, uh, but it's not irrelevant. It's a difficult book. It's a really difficult book, but it's not unimportant. Uh, if I asked you to do a show of hands as to who had really studied or read Leviticus, I guess there will be a few, but not many. It has to be one of the least studied books of the Old Testament, with perhaps the exception of Nahum, because no one can find that book. Um, why would we study Leviticus? Leviticus is actually the, the most quoted or alluded to Old Testament book in the New Testament. So the New Testament quotes Leviticus or alludes to Leviticus more than any other Old Testament book. So it's got to be important, hasn't it? If you know your Bibles, uh, Leviticus comes after Exodus. Exodus is the book of the Bible where God rescues people from Egypt. They're slaves in Egypt. He brings them through the Red Sea. He gives the ten words at Mount Sinai. And Leviticus uh, takes place uh, at the, basically at the base of Mount Sinai. They'll spend a year there being equipped and being taught how to be God's people. In many ways, Exodus is like uh, God who is rescuing sinners for relationship. And then Leviticus is all about how God equips those sinners to maintain that relationship with him. In many ways, sort of, I like to think of Exodus as the the marriage prep course, and Leviticus, the marriage enrichment course. So Leviticus preparing people for a relationship, Leviticus maintaining that relationship, growing that relationship. So why are we looking at it? I'll give you three quick reasons. Leviticus, more than most books of the Bible, helps you see and understand what it means for God to be holy. I do pray that you would leave this sermon series with your mind stretched by the holiness of God. It helps you to marvel at and wonder at the cost of Jesus. If you've never understood Leviticus, Calvary, where where Jesus Christ was crucified, will make little sense to you. You'll understand it partly, but you won't grasp the magnitude of Calvary if you don't understand the book of Leviticus. And the third reason is that it should spur you on and challenge you to be holy. If you claim to follow this God who is holy, when he says, be holy because I am holy, you'll understand what that really means. I'm aware there'll be people here tonight who don't claim to follow Jesus, not, not yet Christians. I do pray that this sermon series will actually teach you uh, who God is. And more than that, it will actually highlight who Jesus is. I do pray that maybe through this sermon series, you will understand what it costs Jesus, and you'll put Jesus Christ as your own personal Lord and Savior. But I know many of us here are Christians. I do pray that this sermon series, I say, will will send you on your way with just bowled over by a holy God that you can know through Christ. So I'm going to pray now, and then I will have Leviticus 1 read. 
Lord, I pray that you would speak to us, teach us, train us, correct us, rebuke us, humble us. Please rid us of our superficial understanding of who you are. Lord, I pray that the words from Leviticus would expand our understanding and that we would grasp just a slight hint of of how holy you really are. So, Spirit of God, please would you teach us tonight. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Let's hear Leviticus chapter 1. Paul said we're going to read uh, the first chapter of Leviticus, which is on page 71 of your Bibles. The Lord called to Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting. He said, speak to the Israelites and say to them, when any of you brings an offering to the Lord, bring as your offering an animal from either the herd or the flock. If the offering is a burnt offering from the herd, He is to offer a male without defect. He must present it at the entrance to the tent of meeting so that it will be acceptable to the Lord. He is to lay his hand on the head of of the burnt offering and it will be acceptable on his behalf to make atonement for him. He is to slaughter the young bull before the Lord and then Aaron's sons, the priests, shall bring the blood and sprinkle it against the altar on all sides at the entrance to the tent of meeting. He is to skin the burnt offering and cut it into pieces. The sons of Aaron, the priest, are to put fire on the altar and arrange wood on the fire. Then Aaron's sons, the priests, shall arrange the pieces, including the head and the fat, on the burning wood that is on the altar. He is to wash the inner parts and the legs with water, and the priest is to burn all of it on the altar. It is a burnt offering, an offering made by fire, an aroma pleasing to the Lord. If the offering is a burnt offering from the flock, from either the sheep or the goats, he is to offer a male without defect. He is to slaughter it at the north side of the altar before the Lord, and Aaron's sons, the priests, shall sprinkle its blood against the altar on all sides. He is to cut it into pieces, and the priests shall arrange them, including the head and the fat, on the burning wood that is on the altar. He is to wash the inner parts and the legs with water, and the priest is to bring all of it and burn it on the altar. It is a burnt offering, an offering made by fire, an aroma pleasing to the Lord. If the offering to the Lord is a burnt offering of birds, he is to offer a dove or a young pigeon. The priest shall bring it to the altar, wring off the head and burn it on the altar. Its blood shall be drained out on the side of the altar. He is to remove the crop with its contents and throw it to the east side of the altar where the ashes are. He shall tear it open by the wings, not severing it completely, and then the priest shall burn it on the wood that is on the fire on the altar. It is a burnt offering, an offering made by fire, an aroma pleasing to the Lord. Uh, The second reading tonight is from Hebrews chapter 10, uh, verses 1 to 22, and it can be found on page 850 um, of your church Bible. 
The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly, year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. If it could, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshippers would have been cleansed once and for all, and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins, because it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offerings you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased. Then I said, Here I am, it is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, O God. First, he said, sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, although the law required them to be made. Then he said, here I am, I have come to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish the second, and by that will, we will have been made holy through the sacrifices of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest had offered for all the time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool, because by one sacrifice he has, been, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First, he says, This is the covenant I will make with them. After that time, says the Lord, I will put my laws into their hearts and I will write them on their minds. Then he adds, Their sin and lawless acts I will remember no more. And when these have been forgiven, there is no longer any sacrifice for sin. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, open for us through the curtain, that is, his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Thanks, Joe. Thanks, Chris. I want to flick back to Leviticus chapter 1. Tonight we're going to look at chapters 1 to 7 of Leviticus. It's on page 71. So Leviticus is one of my uh, favorite Old Testament books. Um, might seem a bit obscure but it's, uh, it's just full of gold. I think I was either 11 or 12. I really can't remember. I just remember that I was guilty. I felt guilty and I was guilty because I'd uh, stolen money from mum's purse. I've no idea what I wanted the money for, probably sort of old spice aftershave or something like that. But I was in the wrong. Have you ever had that feeling where you know you've done wrong 
you know that you've offended somebody or hurt somebody and you're about to face the music. It might be a spouse, it might be a parent, it might be a friend, it might be a boss. But you've done wrong, you feel guilty, you are guilty, and you're about to, to meet them face to face. I guess I felt a bit like the, the prodigal son, you know, sort of rehearsing the lines. Sorry, I did wrong. Sorry, I did wrong. And if you know that feeling, inside you there's this kind of, what is it, that, that anxiety, that terror, that kind of fear, that just that gut-wrenching thing of how are they going to respond? Will they forgive me? I'm assuming my mum did forgive me, I can't remember, but I'm assuming she did forgive me because she's my mum and she loved me. But do you know that feeling as well when you've wronged somebody and you've met them face to face and they say the words, I forgive you. That kind of that gut-wrenching anxiety just becomes this, what is it, this, this just relief. This sort of, wow, this one, you ever had that feeling where you, you're buzzing because that, that, that person who is rightly wronged, uh, angry with you, has forgiven you. And you're walking away, a forgiven person, and that relationship's intact again. And there's this overwhelming feeling of joy and wonder and, and awe. Wow, what a relief. That, in a way, is Leviticus 1 to 7. Because God's people who have wronged God every minute of every day are forgiven by a holy God. How is God going to forgive? How is God going to accept his people? And the answer is sacrifice. They are God's people, but they need forgiveness. They, They are God's people, but they've done wrong, and they need to be forgiven, and they need sacrifice. Uh, the sacrificial system wasn't God's way of twisting their arm. The sacrificial system was God's grace and God's mercy that he poured out upon them to say, you can be forgiven. And that's what the chapters 1 to 7 are all about. I've got three points tonight. Here's the first one. Uh, the holy God dwells with his people. Look at those first two words, the holy God. The overwhelming picture of God in Leviticus is God is holy. God is infinitely holy. God is eternally holy. God is unchangeably holy. He is holy. The key verse for the whole letter is chapter 11, verse 44. I am the Lord your God. I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves and be holy because I am holy. I'm the Lord who brought you up out of Egypt to be your God Therefore, be holy, because I am holy. Look at those first few words. I am the Lord your God. I am God. I am powerful. I have the authority. I'm the creator. I'm the maker of the universe. But I'm also your God, that personal God. I'm the Lord your God who who brought you out of Egypt. Remember, you were slaves in Egypt. You belonged to Pharaoh, and I rescued you, and I brought you to myself to be your God. I am the Lord, Yahweh. That relational, covenantal God. He says, be holy because I am holy. Same in Leviticus 19, verse 2. Be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. 
Leviticus 20, verse 26, I, the Lord, am holy. And that's the motto of the whole Leviticus, I am holy. But what does that word holy mean? You will never understand Leviticus. You'll never understand Jesus unless you understand what it means for God to be holy. The word holy literally means separate or, or other. It's not just moral separateness. It's not just saying that, that God is morally pure. That is true. But it's much more than that. To say that God is holy means that he is intrinsically unapproachable. God is intrinsically unapproachable. He is completely other. He is completely separate. He is the creator. We're just creatures. He is sinless. And we are sinful creatures. He's altogether different from his fallen, finite world. That's why Moses says in Exodus 15, Who is like you, God, majestic in holiness? Who is like God, majestic in holiness? The answer is nobody. Because only God is holy. I tried to think of an illustration to show that God is holy. I couldn't think of one, really. Because if I tried to describe someone who is perfectly pure and perfectly majestic and perfectly sinless and perfectly beautiful and perfectly compassionate, uh, your minds couldn't grasp it because we have fallen, finite minds. Just think of, of the purest, 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 completely different thing you can think about. That's just scratching the surface, what it means for our God to be holy. Now think about how the word holy is used in the Bible. You have a holy tabernacle and holy priests and the holy place and holy garments and the holy word and everything is holy because it's set apart for him. Look at it again. God is holy. If I said to you, what is God like? God is dot, dot, dot. I'm sure you get a list of things. God is love. God is just. God is compassionate. God is kind. God is gracious. God is holy. That might be there as part of them. But that's our mistake. We think that God's holiness is just one part of his character. It actually describes his whole character. God's love is a holy love. God's compassion is a holy compassion. God's justice is a holy justice. He is holy. One writer said this. Holiness is not just an attribute of God along with other attributes. Holiness is a description of the very being of God. Holiness expresses not what God is, but that he is. Not what God is, but that he is. He is holy. Totally other, intrinsically unapproachable. And when you've grasped that, the only response should be reverence or perhaps Fear, falling down before him, hiding your faces from him because you can't be near this holy God. So if you get nothing else out of this sermon series on Leviticus, please understand this one point that our God is a holy, completely other, completely perfect, set-apart God. See, that means that, uh, that you can't just treat God as your mate. You can't just go, chummy, chummy God, pally, pally God. 
You can't just waltz into the presence of God. You should revere him and fear him and stand in awe of him because he is holy. I just fear that we have, we've just reduced God to this small being that we can understand. Just somebody who can come alongside and be his mate. Please understand with your mind that your God is holy. It's not just that, is it? He, he dwells with his people. See, if God were a distant God, we wouldn't have a problem. If God was like a, a teacher who just emails lessons but never meets his students, you, you wouldn't have a problem. If God was a judge who just passes sentence but never sees the defendants, you wouldn't have a problem. If God was a father who never met his child, just sent gift vouchers once a year. But that's not our God. Our God is a, is a personal God who wants to know you, who wants to dwell with you. When you read Leviticus, so much of the action takes place at what's called the tabernacle. It's a place where, where God dwelt with his people. It's where the sacrifices took place, where the priests did their work. We had, he had the holy place and the holy of holy where God dwelt. Look how Exodus ends. Exodus chapter 40, verse 34. The cloud covered the tent of meeting, the cloud for the presence of God, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And so what did Moses do? Get all pally-pally with God? No, verse 35. Moses couldn't enter the tent of meeting. He couldn't come near the glory of God because a cloud had settled upon it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. That is the backdrop to Exodus, the backdrop to our lives. The holy God dwells with his people. He lives with his people. If that is true for us, you've got to understand that as morally corrupt, selfish, proud, greedy creatures, how on earth are you ever going to enter the presence of God? My second point is this. The gracious God forgives sinners like you and me sacrifice. Leviticus, like the rest of the Bible, is, is all about grace. It's all about God's grace. God didn't need to forgive the Israelites. God could have left them in their sins, but in his grace, in his kindness, he chose to forgive. And he did that through sacrifice. Just performing the sacrifices didn't earn you forgiveness. Just offering God a bull or a goat doesn't somehow twist God's arm and manipulate God so he had to forgive. God forgives us. God forgave them because of his grace. Let's look at the offering, the burnt offering of chapter 1. We need the burnt offering because we need sins to be atoned for. The burnt offering was the most common of all the sacrifices. It was offered by everybody twice a day. Please understand that. By everybody twice a day, morning and evening. You'd wake up in the morning, you'd offer a sacrifice. You'd go to bed at night, you'd offer a sacrifice. Now just think about that. What would you be reminded of morning and night? You'd be reminded that God is holy. More than that, you'd be reminded, I'm a sinner. I need forgiveness. I need my sins atoned for. It's a pretty vivid reminder. Look at verse 3. If the offering is a burnt offering from the herd, he's to offer a male without defect. So to take an animal, the best animal, he carries it to the tabernacle, uh, verse 4, he lays his hand on the head of the burnt offering, not a light tap, but a, a firm press to exchange 
this animal is going to take his sin. Verse 5. He is to slaughter the young bull before the Lord. Who's the he in verse 5? Not the priests. The sinner himself would sacrifice the animal. I've only grasped that this week. Uh, the, the person himself sacrificed the animal. He did all the g- dirty work of killing and slaughtering this animal and then handed it over to the priest to sprinkle the blood on the altar. Uh, down to verse 6. He is to skin the burnt offering. Not the priest, but the sinner himself. Skins it and cuts it into pieces. And the priest, verse 7, he prepares the fire on the altar. Uh, verse 9. He, the Israelite, the sinner, is to wash the inner parts. He's to do all the hard work. And then the priest burns it and gives it all to God. It's bizarre, isn't it? But what is happening here? Look at verse 4. That's a clue. He's to lay his hand on the head of the burnt offering and it will be accepted on his behalf instead of him to make atonement for him. That's the purpose of the burnt offering, atonement. Uh, the word is often translated as at one At one with your holy God. It just means that that the, the wrath of God has been turned away. The right anger at God, at the sins of the people, has been appeased in some way by the death of this animal. He has died in your place so that you can have your sins, your wrongdoing, atoned for. That's what the burnt offering does. It atones for the sins of the people. But then the sin offerings is where sin is paid for. Just flick over to chapter 4. There's more offerings Chapter 4, verse 3, if the anointed priest sins, bringing guilt on the people, he must bring to the Lord a young bull without defect as a sin offering for the sin he has committed. Not just the priest. Verse 13, if the whole Israelite community sins unintentionally and does what is forbidden in any of the Lord's commands. Uh, Verse 22, when a leader sins unintentionally. Uh, Verse 27, if a member of the community sins unintentionally. He's guilty, and he must bring a sin offering. What struck me about these chapters is that he's got everyone covered. Priests, or leaders, members of the community, Israelites, they all sin, whether it's unintentional sin or intentional sin. That's striking, isn't it? Now, it's not just the things that you know that you do wrong. It's the things that you don't even know you've done wrong. You need to offer a sin offering for. And you must confess it, chapter 5, verse 5. When anyone sins, anyone is guilty in any of these ways, he must confess it. He must confess in what way he has sinned. He must actually describe the way he has sinned and confess his sins to God. And as a penalty for the sin, he must bring to the Lord a female lamb or goat. That's the sin offering, sins being paid for. The debt is wiped clean if you want. As you read chapters 1 to 5, the thing that shouts to me again and again and again is this, that your sin matters. That your sin matters before a holy God. All sin matters. I just wonder whether we view sin in the same way that our Lord God does. By sin, I mean the wrong things that you do and the right things that you fail to do. The wrong words, the wrong deeds, the wrong thoughts, and the right good things that God has asked you to do, but you just refuse to do them. That's sin. And it matters to God. 
Perhaps like me, you, you rationalize your sin. Perhaps you compare yourself to other people. The thing that's striking about this is that the individual Israelite had to just put his hand up and said, these are the ways that I have sinned. I don't know about you, but often we say a confession in church, and there's that time before the confession where someone says, oh, just sit and think about all the ways you've offended the Lord this week. And sometimes, you know, they don't rattle off the top of my head. I have to think hard, how have I, uh, how have I sinned against the Lord this week? They should just come flum, flowing out and tumbling out because basically from the moment we wake up to the moment we go to bed, we are sinful creatures. It's just that we've become desensitized. We've compared ourselves to the world. We don't see sin as sin. Now, I'm not a ritual kind of person, but in many ways this daily sacrifice is a very good ritual. You wake up, you're reminded I'm a sinner. You go to bed, you're reminded I'm a sinner. A few things struck me. These sacrifices are very personal. At every stage, the person was involved, from the slaughtering to the skinning to the carving it up. Just imagine the tabernacle. Imagine the temple. You see your mate. He's walking up to the tabernacle. He's got an animal on his shoulders or a bird in his hand. What's he saying? He's saying, hi, I'm a sinner. Yes, me, I'm sinful. Very, very personal. It was costly. It wasn't cheap. The Israelites didn't bring any old animal. He didn't look out for you know, the weakest animal or some dead animal on the side of the road. 1 verse 3, he's to bring a male without defect, the best animal. Or a sheep without defect. 1 verse 10, the unblemished, perfect animal. God is saying, I want the best of you. And the people are saying, only the best for my holy God. What are you saying if you bring to God just some substandard animal? You're simply saying to God, you know, you're not that important. I don't really care that much. It's the old saying, isn't it? If it costs you something, you really appreciate it. Remember a, a boy called Ethan, he's now 11, he was six at the time. He was saving it for a computer game. He was $2 away from buying his computer game. And then he vandalized a fence, and his dad took $2 off him. Now, $2 is nothing to us, but for a six-year-old, it's a lot of money. And the tears were streaming down his face. But he understood that he'd done something wrong because it was costly to him. And when every day you have to get a bull or a sheep or a goat or a pigeon, it costs you something and you understand the depth of your sin. It was universal. Everybody bought offerings, burnt offerings, sin offerings, guilt offerings. All, all people needed atonement. What's striking in these chapters is, is, that, is that no one can say, I can't afford it. God says, if you can't afford a bull, that's okay, bring a sheep. If you can't afford a sheep, bring, bring a pigeon. And if you can't even afford a pigeon, just bring me a grain of flour. I don't care what you bring, as long as you bring something to show me that actually you recognize I'm holy and you need forgiveness. Did you notice all the details in these chapters? Why is it so detailed? Because God is holy and he wants you to approach him in a right, reverent way. You ever received a gift from somebody and you're thinking, why did you bother? <laughs> you know, 
I can tell by the way you've given it to me or what you've bought me, you didn't really care. You just felt you had to buy me something and you didn't have duty. Why bother? I'm sure you've bought those kind of gifts. You know, you feel obliged to give someone a gift. But your heart's not there. And God's saying, it's not about, you know, what you give. It's actually the attitude with which you make this sacrifice. And the other thing is that it, it did work partly. Look at chapter 1, verse 9. It's a burnt offering, an offering made by fire, and aroma pleasing to the Lord. Same in 1, verse 13. A burnt offering, an offering made by fire, and aroma pleasing to the Lord. That's a repeated phrase, an aroma pleasing to the Lord. Same in 1, verse 17. An aroma pleasing to the Lord. It's, it's literally saying, the smell pleased God. God kind of went, yeah, that smells good. And you can imagine the stench of all the blood, but this sacrifice was pleasing in the nostrils of a holy God. Why? Because his wrath had been turned away. The animal was sacrificed in his place. The Israelites could walk away knowing they were forgiven. And I hope as you read this chapter, you are making some connections. I hope you're joining the dots in some way. Because there's no sacrifices today, are there? The book of Hebrews, in many ways, is like a commentary on the book of Leviticus. Hebrews 9, verse 13. The blood of, of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean, sanctify them so they're outwardly clean. But it doesn't deal with a heart problem. It doesn't deal with sin, really. How much more, then, will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself, well, not an animal, but himself, a person, unblemished, a perfect sacrifice to God, cleanse our consciences from the acts that lead to death. Uh, 10 verse 1, the law, that is Levitical law, is only a shadow. It's just a pointer. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to God. But we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices of bulls and goats and pigeons, which can never take away sins. But when this priest, Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, himself, he sat down at the right hand of God. You see, these sacrifices never dealt with the problem. You can never find the perfect animal. There's no such thing as a perfect, unblemished animal. But more than that, can you imagine? You've just made your sacrifice. You're walking down the mountain again, and you have a row with your wife. And you've sinned again, back up the mountain, buy another animal, make another sacrifice. You're walking back down the mountain. You're going, oh, pigeons these days, they're so expensive. And you've sinned again, back up the mountain, make another sacrifice. And you're constantly offering sacrifices to God. You can never be sure. You could never be sure that you're really forgiven. And then you see Christ, the perfect sacrifice, the unblemished sacrifice, who offered himself once for all. How dare we? How dare we think that we need to offer any sacrifice today when Christ has done it all? He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. 
Our sins were laid onto his shoulders and his blood was shed so that we're forgiven once for all. Who is the burnt offering? Jesus Christ. Who is the sin offering? Jesus Christ. Who is the guilt offering? Jesus Christ. He doesn't say, bring a bull. He says, come to the cross. He doesn't say, check to the temple. He says, come to Calvary. See Jesus who turns for your sins. See Jesus who pays a penalty for your sins. Just look at Jesus. He paid it all. He really did pay it all. Paul says in Ephesians 5, Christ loved us and gave himself for us as a fragrant offering, an aroma pleasing to the Lord and a sacrifice to God. That's how much God loves you. He's done it all with one man at one time in history. His name is Jesus. See, when you've understood this, the only response really is to say, wow. More than that, to say, thank you, Jesus. Yay for Jesus. You're supposed to read Leviticus constantly shouting, yay for Jesus, yay for Jesus, yay for Jesus. You take a burnt offering, yay for Jesus. And you sacrifice it, yay for Jesus. You're supposed to wake up tomorrow morning and say, yay for Jesus, no burnt offering for me this morning. You're supposed to go through your whole life, ringing through your head, going through your head, morning, noon and night. Thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus. You paid it all. He paid it all. But please remember, it was personal. It was very personal. God himself was involved at every step. He sacrificed himself. It was very costly. Do you remember Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane? He's praying, Lord, if there's any other way, please. And no one is beyond forgiveness. See, my fear is that because we don't understand how, how holy God is, we just treat the, co- the, the cross so lightly. We just treat the cross so, so lightly. And we see our Savior so, so lightly. Yeah, he died for me. Of course he did. It was costly. It was a beautiful sacrifice. I want to urge you to have that as a backdrop of your whole life. Yay for Jesus. Yay for Jesus. Yay for Jesus. He atones for my sins. He forgives my sins. He pays for my sins. But that's not all. Forgiven sinners thank God through sacrifice. Let's go back to my first example. When my mum forgave me, I hope I didn't say, of course you forgave me. It's your job to forgive me. And I hope I didn't say, Thanks, Mum. Now, I'll just ignore you for the next few days until I do something wrong again, and then I'll come crawling back to you and ask for forgiveness. I hope I showed that I was thankful. I hope I was demonstrating in word and in deed how thankful I was that she'd forgiven me. So how do you really know that, that you, you, you're loving the cross? How do you really know that you, you're waking up each day saying, Thank you, Jesus? You show that in some way. You demonstrate that in some way. You demonstrate your gratitude. And that's what the grain offerings were all about in chapter 2. The Israelites took a bit of grain, chapter 2, verse 1, a fine flour, the best flour, and they put some oil on it. The oil is a symbol of, of joy. And they took some incense, a symbol of God's presence, of dedicated to God. And 
and they gave it to God. 2 verse 2, the priest shall take a handful of fine flour and oil together with all the incense and burn this as a memorial portion on the altar, an offering made by fire and aroma pleasing to the Lord. It's just a simple thank you gift. They take what's best, the best flour, the best oil, the best incense, and they give something back to God to show they're thankful. Remember that verse in Malachi where, where God says, you know, I want the best. If you can't be bothered to give me the best, don't bother at all. That's the response that God expects from us, gratitude, thankfulness. He expects us to make sacrifices. And yet so often we're like little kids, and they take, 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 take. Thanks, God, thanks, God, thanks, God, but we give nothing back to him. And if you really grasped how holy God is, and if you really grasped the beauty of Jesus and his sacrifice for sin, you won't bring a grain offering. What will you bring? What will you give God? What does God expect of you tonight? Here it is. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, God's kindness, God's forgiveness, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Not a dead animal, but yourself as daily living sacrifices to God, holy and pleasing to God, because this is your spiritual act of worship. He's saying, as you reflect on the cross of Calvary and what it costs God to forgive you, the only response is, here I am, God. This is me. Everything I have, everything I am, it belongs to you. Take me. Use me. I'm giving my, my work life to you. I'm giving my actions to you, my thoughts to you. I'm committing my relationships to you, God. I just want to live for you. From the moment I wake up to the moment I go to sleep, I want to give everything back to you, God because you paid it all for me. It's that attitude. I mean, how can I hold anything back from God when he's given me so much? Same in Philippians 4. The gift you sent, it was money, or a fragrant offering. It's, it's Leviticus language. An acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. He's saying there that, that your money belongs to God. Uh, there's something, you know, when you've understood Calvary, when you've understood forgiveness in Christ, something wells up in you, and you're just a different person. You kind of say, Lord, everything now belongs to you. I just wonder why we as a church are maybe not living our whole lives with this attitude of gratitude and this attitude of everything belongs to you. And the answer isn't more programs. The answer isn't more guilt or rebuking. The answer is just to see Jesus. To see the cross more clearly. To see his sacrifice and to let it just, just capture you so that you want to give. And you want to give your whole being to him. Your work life, your married life, your friendships, your social life, all of you given back to God. I'll leave you with this verse. Hebrews 13, verse 15 and 16. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise. Not, not singing. The sacrifice of praise is the fruit of lips that confess his name. So if you understood the cross, you've understood sacrifice, you'll want to talk about Jesus. You'll want to speak about Jesus. Every opportunity you'll get, you'll be telling people about your Savior. He is the one who did pay it all.
but please don't forget to do good. Please don't just talk about Jesus. It must be shown in action by the way that you treat people, the way that you help people, the way you're kind and generous. Do good and to share with others. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. I'm guessing there are different reactions to the sermon tonight. Some people here may never have given their life to Christ. And perhaps you've understood for the first time that God is holy and that you are a sinner. I want to urge you tonight to look at the cross where Jesus paid it all and just say, please forgive me, Jesus. Thank you for dying for me. But my guess is that many of us have done that many, many years ago. And if you're in that category tonight, please don't leave here tonight without saying, yay for Jesus. Lord, you're so holy. (laughs) Yay for Jesus, because in him I'm forgiven. And in him I have life. And then take that next step and saying, how can I thank you enough? Here I am. Just take me, every bit of me. I just want to live for you. I'm going to give you a moment just to reflect. Uh, Some music will will play. The words will be on the screen. Use this moment just to, to pray or to do business with God. And then we're going to close with two songs tonight.